Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we continue to look at your wonderful truth found in Romans chapter 9, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your spirit and your truth. I pray, Lord, that we would embrace your truth and we would rest in it and that we would live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is our last Sunday on Romans chapter 9, and and it reminded me why it's truly one of my favorite chapters of Scripture as we've preached through this, this particular chapter. And if you think about it, Romans chapter 9 is truly a chapter of question. Paul is asking rhetorical questions to prove his point not only on this doctrine of predestination that God picks, but also to answer the question about the Hebrews since they rejected Christ. And as we come to the conclusion of the chapter, Paul has already answered the following questions. Verse 9, is the word of God reliable? That's question number 1. Question number 2 is verse 14, is there unrighteousness with God because he does pick? Question number 3, verse 19, if God picks, why does he still find fault with men? And today we have this final question, which is an overall conclusion of the chapter. And as Paul asks this question, he's taking us right back to the beginning of chapter 9 regarding this overall question, what about the Jews? And he asks it this way in verse 30 of Romans chapter 9. What shall we say then? In other words, in concluding my ideas on this topic, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And as we start off looking at these verses this morning, I'd like to first bring up this topic of righteousness, because it is pervasive throughout all of these verses. And if you think about Gentiles being us, Hebrews, of course, being the Jews, and when you look at the opening of verse 30, you will see in righteousness the Gentiles did not pursue it, yet they obtained it. You see that there at the beginning of 30. And then in 31, the Israelites pursued it, yet they did not attain it. One found it and wasn't looking for it. The other 
was around it, but yet they missed it. And first, let me say that if you want a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to have it. And in fact, in the 12th chapter of Hebrews, verse 14, the writer of Hebrews said, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This idea of Christianity without righteousness, which is an idea today that we find ourselves in the modern church, is absurd. You have to have righteousness in Christianity. It is part of Christianity. You can't separate the two. You'd literally have to throw away your Bible if you believe in a Christianity without righteousness, without holiness. We have it positionally, positional holiness, positional righteousness when we first meet the Lord Jesus Christ as we put our faith in Him and we have the blood covering of Jesus and through the imputement of Christ's righteousness to our life, we are positionally holy even though we've not done anything holy. Immediately, the moment you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are declared holy. However... We also pursue a practical holiness. The first is the doctrine of justification. The second is the doctrine of sanctification, where through the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we start pursuing the things of God through the leading of the Spirit, and we pursue holiness. This is why the writer of Hebrews can say, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So when you think about our focal passage this morning, it's kind of perplexing when you think about it. The Gentiles weren't looking for righteousness, but yet they found it. The Hebrews were looking for it. They were pursuing it. They missed it. And in fact, if you think about the Hebrews in our focal passage in verse 31, it says they were pursuing the law of righteousness They've not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. As I was getting ready for my sermon, it made me think about Matthew 23, when Christ spoke the condemning words to the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23, Verse 23, he called them hypocrites. And he said, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy in faith. He goes on in verse 25 and he says, you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside They are full of extortion and self-indulgence. In verse 27 in Matthew 23, he said, You're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. 
He goes on in verse 28 and he says, Even so you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They were pursuing a type of righteousness, but it wasn't saving righteousness. In baseball language, you could say that they were majoring in the minors. That they were caught up with all of the little things. But yet they missed the ideas of justice, mercy, and faith. You can see as Paul opens up chapter 9, he's lamenting this. Because in Romans chapter 9, in verse 4, as he described the Israelites, he says, To whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. In other words, Paul is saying you were in the middle of religious activity, right? I mean, they saw the hand of God. I mean, when you just go back and you think about the Exodus, just if you looked at that as an isolated event, and you look at all of the miracles that occurred regarding the Exodus, you look at the plagues that God inflicted upon Pharaoh and the Egyptian people, you look at the crossing of the Red Sea, You look at the giving of the law. You look at the provision of God as they had the pillar of fire and the cloud to cover them during the day. You look at manna. You look at all of the things that they witnessed, but they didn't know the Lord. And it reminds me of our modern day problem that the church finds itself in. If you and I were going to go and canvas our town, in which, you know, years ago we did, as we started the church and we wanted to introduce the community to the church, and I remember knocking on doors, introducing ourselves, telling them that we were from Mill Creek, and Time and time again, you would get, well, my grandparents used to go to such and such church. They didn't say they went to the church. Grandma and grandpa went. Or my family's been going to this church for X number of years. And finally, I started asking, do you go to church? In other words, do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, no, I, no I, I, I really don't. I really don't go. Or you would get, well, I used to do this. I used to teach Sunday school. I used to attend church. I would do this or I would do that. And time and time again, you would get this idea of talking to people, and we're going to talk about this more, creating this religion of self. That you were okay because you did something, or worse, because mom and dad did something, or grandma and grandpa did 
something. There was no relationship. But what they were telling you is, is that, oh yeah, I've, I've been to church. I've been around church. I've been around the things of God. I have a Bible here in my house. I have this. I have that. Just like the Jews who said, I have been around. I have witnessed. I have seen. But yet they have no righteousness that finds them acceptable before a holy and righteous God. The Jews proved that being around something doesn't find you acceptable in front of God. And unfortunately, I think that our country, as churches continue to diminish, you find younger generations that will claim that they are acceptable because of what mom and dad did and grandma and grandpa and Christianity is almost becoming an ethnic identity. An ethnic identity. What do I mean by that? Well, if you find yourself going into the hospital, you've got to fill out a form, right? And your name and your address and all of these things. And then it gets down to your faith. And basically what they're saying in a nice way is if, if it gets really bad, we know what type of chaplain to send over, or at, least, or at least what the chaplain should talk about. And so it has all of the check marks. I'm a Christian. I'm a Jew. I'm a Muslim, if you are a person of, quote unquote, faith or religion. And the vast majority of people are going to go into a hospital. And what are they going to check? You're going to check that they're a Christian. But yet, there are no fruits. But they check that because they've been around it. They're familiar with it. It's what grandma and grandpa were, so I guess I've got to check the box. Just like the Jews that were around the things of God, but they did not know God. They were pursuing a form of righteousness, but it wasn't a saving righteousness. So how does one attain it? I think that's a very appropriate question. How do you attain righteousness? Do you go to righteousness school? Do you go to a righteousness seminar? After two or three years of church, do you, you know, get a star? You know, I grew up in the star system in Sunday school, you know, and you'd go and they'd have all of your names. And there were kids that were more faithful than I was when I was growing up in church. And I remember looking and seeing all of those stars by those kids' names. Well, apparently they, they were more righteous than me. At least that's what I thought at that particular point in time before I knew Christ. Is that what makes one righteous? No. Paul tells us that it's a gift. It's an absolute gift. It says the Gentiles weren't pursuing it, but yet they found it. And it reminds me of what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. When they're having the discussion And Nicodemus asked this question, well, how is one born again? 
How is one born again? And Jesus' response to Nicodemus in the fifth verse of John chapter 3 is this. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, you can't lay claim to it. You cannot lay claim to it. You can't say, well, this is when I figured it out. This is when I got righteous. It is only a gift. John 15, verse 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me. You did not choose me. I think that's so very important for us to realize as believers We did not pick Christ. Christ picked us. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Some people want to think that this moment of faith that they had, this moment, that first reaction to the calling of God is of their own accord, of their own righteousness, of their own logic, of their own intellect. It's not. Ephesians 2.8 says it's a gift. It's an absolute gift. Christ told Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes. The Hebrews were pursuing, but they didn't obtain it. The Gentiles weren't looking, but yet they found it. Why? Verse 32, regarding the Hebrews of Romans 9, Paul said, because they did not seek it by faith as it were, The works of the law. The works of the law. Now here's why I love Reformed theology, because to me it lines up perfectly with the Bible. I can say that I'm only a Christian by the grace that God gave me. It's not me. It's not my righteousness. It's not some logical decision. It's only by His grace I can claim nothing. You can claim nothing. It's only by His grace. But the Hebrews were caught up in the law. I'm going to do this and that, so therefore I am a, quote, good person. It's their system. And Paul knows what he's talking about. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at two testimonies. Two testimonies this morning that Paul gives of himself and his life. 
is he is called into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, verse 2, he goes, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. In other words, what he's dealing with is those Jewish believers who say, Hey, the Gentiles still have to be circumcised. So he goes, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. See, there is a righteousness in the law. He said, I'm blameless when you just look at me executing the righteousness in the law, but it is not a saving righteousness. It's just morality. And when he outlined all of those things, all of the religious acts that he had been participating in, what does he say in verse 7? But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And there you see in chapter 3 of Philippians, he says there's two forms of righteousness. One is the pursuit of the law. One is the gift from Jesus Christ. And he said, the pursuit of righteousness, which is from the law, is trash. Trash. See, it's only through Christ. It's only through his gift. It's an absolute gift. The next testimony that I would like to point out is Paul standing before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. And as he's standing before King Agrippa and as he's making his case for Jesus Christ in the gospel, he goes back to when he originally meets Jesus. And if you recall, Paul, then known as Saul, is going to persecute the Christians. He's on the way to Damascus to persecute Christians. And he's standing before Agrippa years later. 
And in verse 12 of Acts 26, he says, While thus occupied, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at midday. O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified with me. Was Paul looking for Christ? He wasn't, was he? He wasn't. He didn't sit there and say, you know what? I finally got it all figured out. I've been searching the scriptures and I got it figured out. That's not how he came to Christ. How did he came to Christ? Just as Jesus told Nicodemus, you're called. You're called. Called in spite of ourselves. Called in spite of our." Past. We're called. And if we would rest in the fact that we're called in spite of ourself, we rest in the powerful story of His grace. And as Paul outlines this in Romans chapter 9, he brings up this point that either Jesus is a cornerstone or He's a stumbling block. Because what happens when you come to Jesus Christ? What happens? What you are really saying is, is that there's nothing in my life that's acceptable. Not one thing. I have nothing. Nothing to bring. Nothing to stand on. No argument to make. No plea to give. I have nothing. And that only comes through the Holy Spirit. It only comes through Him. And it comes through Him in His timing, in His way. I first met Jesus in 1976. I'll never forget it. I was sitting in a revival meeting. Every single night, I felt the Holy Spirit call me to give my life to Jesus Christ. And as revival meetings were back in the day, five-day or seven-day events, I sat the first night. I didn't do anything. It got worse the second night. It got worse the third night. It got worse the fourth night. And finally, on the fifth night, it was the final night, and I thought, I am either going to do this now or I'm never going to do it. And it was the overwhelming conviction of the Holy Spirit. There was nothing that I could lay claim to. I'd been in church practically my whole life. I'd gone to Sunday school. I'd gone to vacation Bible schools. I had done all of those things. I'd done all of the religious things, been all surrounding them in religious things at church. But that week is when Jesus Christ chose to save me. Could have been 1974, could have been 1983, could have been 2000, could have been 2021. 
I don't know why, but that was the day. And Christ works in everyone to call us. We are called. We are chosen. We do not pick. I agree with Martin Lloyd-Jones. Chapter 9 tells us how men are saved and why men are lost. Men are lost because they stumble over Christ. They want to say, no, it's me. It's me who can stand before a righteous God and give an account. They stumble over Jesus because they're not willing to give up life. But for the believer, it's nothing that we claim to. It's no epiphany of our own. It's through the powerful calling of the Holy Spirit. And we are left speechless by the power and grace of Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you so much for your word and your truth. We thank you for the power of your salvation. We thank you that you've called us in spite of ourselves. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone who's listening who does not know you, and they are feeling the calling of God, I pray, Lord, that they won't delay, that they'll accept Christ, they'll accept the forgiveness of sin, They'll accept the power of salvation and the transformation in which you offer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.